Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the freezing cold here in Minnesota. It is exactly one degrees outside, and so we're drinking some hot chocolate. So today we're hot chocolate in herstory, I guess. The alliteration still works. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Also, you know what? We're all doing what we need to survive right now. And in our case, hot chocolate is literally keeping me alive. Right. We'll do extra whining. So welcome to Whining About Herstory, the women's history podcast, where two longtime gal pals drink some wine or hot chocolate or other beverages um, and chat about women from history you probably haven't heard of. I'm Kelly. I'm cold. (laughs) I'm Emily. Hi, cold. It's funny because... Put your dad jokes away, <laughs> goddammit. If you can pun, I can dad joke. This is very true. Um, it's funny, you said one degree. I'm like, my computer says zero. <laughs> my phone had said zero, and then I refreshed the temperature, and it said one. Oh, God. Well, at least we're going in the right direction. It's supposed, to, like, tomorrow's supposed to be in the teens, which I was like, oh, my God, it's going to warm up fucking finally. But then until... I'm now changed to zero. Again. Like, Thursday next week, it's supposed to be, like, single digits and zero, and I'm like... No. Monday is supposed to be 25. It is? But it's also supposed to snow. Bullshit. Like, that's the one thing, like, in Minnesota, you kind of have to decide. Like, do you want it to be really cold to the point where it's too cold to snow? Mm -hmm. Or do you want it to be, like, hovering right around freezing, but then it might snow? I'm okay with the snow. I uh, I've become a lot more okay with it because I like walking around in it, and it like lights up the the night sky because of the way that the lights reflect on the right. snow. It's, it's really pretty. pretty. I remember going and walking in the woods on uh, New Year's Eve with my friends. We would have like this yearly sleepover, and my, at my friend's place. What's up, Jory? And uh, <laughs> her house was backed up to these woods, and so we'd go hiking around it. And there was always snow on the ground, so it was light enough where we didn't like even need flashlights or anything thing was this a smart idea no it was not but we didn't die so it's fine we didn't die fine (laughs) um we do have a special say their name today and that is chelsea or chelsea i don't know which way you pronounce it i'm gonna say chelsea I'm I'm going to commit, and if I'm wrong, then I'm committing to being wrong. Yeah, exactly. Um, but she reached out to us on Instagram, and she's lovely, and um, she has a hard-of-hearing daughter, and so she asked us to cover some hard-of-hearing or deaf women, and she actually, like, sent us a list. Oh, yeah. She was like, hey, here's a list of women that you could cover. I was like, oh, my God, you did my work for me. Thank right? you. Um, and basically, you know, that way she can, you know, tell her daughter about these amazing women that, you know, have done all these things regardless of being deaf or hard of hearing. So yeah. this one is for you and your daughter. And also, Chelsea will be sending you a very special video dedicated to you and your daughter after we record this. So keep an eye out for that. Yes. Maybe, maybe we'll post it to Instagram. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe the Patreon. Maybe the Patreon. We'll yeah. see. It'll be somewhere. But Chelsea, seriously, thank you so much for reaching out. And this episode and these women are dedicated to you and your family. And I love when we have listeners who reach out and they're like, hey, could you cover women from this area or who have this experience or that kind of thing because we try to cover a wide range of women um, from all over the world LGBTQ plus women women with disabilities and so I don't know 
it's it's nice though when we get like a prompt it's like oh yes I really get to dive into this now it might take us a little while to get there but we will get there (laughs) so I believe I am going first you are all right lovely lovely lady well uh Chelsea I dug into my Catholic schoolgirl trauma for this one and I decided to cover Sister Teresa de Cartagena Cartagena Excuse me. I just I just listened to the video on how to pronounce it. I also call her Sister Slay or Teresa's Hot Takes. I love that. So Teresa de Cartagena was born sometime around 1245. Maybe. We don't really know. Love that. And we don't really know much about her because there aren't a ton of documents about her life. What we do know is that her grandfather, Rabbi Shlomo Halivai, uh, who, if you couldn't tell, super Jewish, he converted to Christianity in around like 1390 and became the Bishop of Burgos in 1412. And I was like, oh my God, like converting to a different religion, I always view as being a big deal even today, but especially back then. Oh yeah. And then, and then to be also become a Bishop. Yeah. Like you're going from a rabbi. It's not, you know, not, not to diminish it, but it's, you know, he's, he wasn't just Jewish. He was like a leader of the faith Yep, and then totally switched gears. And I'm not sure what the circumstances of his, his conversion was, was were, were one, were, were. but he and Teresa are described as conversos, which means that they are Christians of Jewish heritage. Um, in Judaism, there is a term called anusim, which refers to Jews who were forced to convert to another religion from Judaism. So religious persecution was rife during this time, especially against Jewish people. And it wasn't uncommon for people to convert to avoid being murdered. So I kind of can't help but think that had something to do with it. Right. So that's a bummer. Like being forced to convert to a religion, especially under the threat of violence, is awful. But that's how uh, that's how Teresa kind of comes into being Sister Teresa. Regardless, serving God seemed to be a family affair. Not only was her grandfather a bishop, but her uncle also became Bishop of Burgos. And Teresa followed in their footsteps and entered the Franciscan Monasterio in Santa Clara in Burgos in 1440. And the whole time I'm like, oh my God, I wonder if those are the same Franciscans that live across the street from me. <laughs> Although crap. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 a, they're an originally a Spanish order. I'm like, are they mm-hmm. Italian? No, nope, because the whole convent has those Spanish tiles because they designed the entire place after somewhere in Spain. And I'm like, cool. So how do those tiles hold up in the winter? Not well. Is the answer. No, frost tends to like get under shit. Yeah. However, just 9 years later, she would transfer to the Cistercian Monasterio de las Huelgas, Huelgas in Burgos. Um, linguistic butchery abounds, excuse me. And this is likely because the Franciscan order wasn't too keen on conversos. So mm. she joins this order, but they're like, mm, yeah, but you're not like really Christian. So then it's like you can convert, but you're not Christian enough yeah. because you were born. Jew- it's like. Are you are you oh, bullshit. are you Jewish or are you like, oh my god! So that might have been why she transferred to a different monastery. So she's doing the nun thing, living it up, 
or very humbly, very modestly. And then when Teresa was around 30 years old, she became deaf. The cause of this is unknown, but it's a good reminder that disability is an equal opportunity employer and it can happen to any of us at any time, which is why we should listen to people with disabilities when they tell us that something is bullshit because that might be your bullshit to deal with literally at any point. Right. Understandably, Teresa was initially devastated and grieved the loss of her hearing, but as she came to accept it, she also came to embrace it. She wrote, quote, when I look at my suffering in temporal terms, it seems very painful. But when I turn my thought from these concerns, I see the solitude that my suffering brings. I call it a kind, excuse me, I call it a kind and blessed solitude. It isolates me from dangerous sins and surrounds me with sure blessings. So she's finding peace in the fact that she can't, she can't hear. It allows her to kind of turn inward and focus more on her spirituality. Yeah. So Teresa determined that God had made her deaf as a way to keep away the distractions of like daily noise and temptation of the material world. And now that she was deaf, Teresa was able to devote herself to her spirituality and virtue. So, so I thought that was really interesting how she like, she obviously grieves the loss of her hearing and that's a very natural thing but then she kind of flips it and like it's like how can I make this work for me she's like I got this and especially her obviously being a woman of faith it's like okay what is God trying to tell me with this I've got it you know Mm -hmm. so for Teresa focusing on spirituality and virtue meant calling out sexism yeah smashing the patriarchy religious style she wrote two books that we know of. The first was Grove of the Infirm and uh, Wonder at the Works of God, or as I like to call them, Teresa's Hot Takes. <laughs> so, I love that. Yes. So Teresa wrote works that were largely targeted at women, but written in a way that wouldn't be offensive to men. Not that Ooh, it stopped smart. them from being super offended, but like, she, like, here's the thing. This is the 1400s. This is medieval Spain. She has to appeal to men because they're the ones running the show. They're the the dominant ones in the power structure. So while she's writing this for women, she's writing it in a way that men might also be receptive to. Right. And this was a very tricky balancing act. She would have to show herself as humble as not to threaten the male readers, writing, quote, the lowliness and grossness of my womanly intellect. God. And that was a way of disarming them and then hopefully making them more receptive to her writing. So she's kind of like, while she's espousing like gender ideals of gender equality and feminism, she's also playing into some of these stereotypes and these preconceived ideas of women as a way of being like, hey, I'm not, I'm not threatening you, but like, have you ever thought about it this way? like, yeah, get past their defenses so that they'll actually, like, read it and maybe it'll change their mind. Yeah, and I I know especially nowadays there's this uh, push for activism that doesn't make the dominant power structure comfortable. Mm -hmm. Like, um, okay, so if I were having a conversation with a black person, they shouldn't have to edit themselves to make me more comfortable. She's like, hey, yeah, white people do this. And it's my job to understand, you know, to listen, to listen and understand where they're coming from without taking it personally or like putting it on, you know, you know what I mean? 
but especially at this time, it was very important for her to kind of play both sides and tread very lightly. She also argued that while men and women weren't equal in every way, their different strengths complemented each other, making everyone stronger as a unit. And I think that's valid. Like, equal does not necessarily mean same. Exactly. But that's a good thing. It's just like all women are equal, but we're not the same. Kelly and I are not the same. She's a way better cheerleader than I am. Thank you. You're welcome. So Teresa also used the irrefutable word of God, referencing badass babes from the Bible, such as Judith, who killed the general Holofernes after an entire army of men couldn't. I'm like, okay, I went to eight years of Catholic school. Never heard of Where that. the fuck was Judith? I needed Judith in my life. Because all of the women I learned about, like um, Mother Teresa, like a lot of the saints, a lot of them ended up just being victimized. Oh, yeah. No, like, and like, that's like, how they became, like, so the, I went to a, a Catholic school. Yeah. Which was attached to a church. And we had, like some Catholic areas do, we had the bone of our saint. So it was Saint Odelia. And I don't remember if they actually, like, taught us about her in school. But, yeah, like, she was, like, making a pilgrimage and, like, trigger warning got brought out into the woods and, like raped and murdered but she like saved some other girls so she became a saint and i'm like that is terrible oh and then there's that one female saint she's the uh like the patron saint of bad eyes so she had her eyes plucked out um joan of arc things that got fucking burnt and i know that male saints have also been victimized but i feel like almost every woman i learned about in catholic school it was like yeah they did this that and the other thing and then something horrible happened but they became and a saint. Became because, a saint. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, no, Judith, Judith just like wasted some asshole after an army of men couldn't. Where's my Judith? Right? Like, I wanted to learn about her. Yeah. I would have totally picked that to be my like saint name right. had I known about her. I don't know if Judith is a saint, though. She's a, a no. figure in the Bible, but she should be a saint. Honestly, if Olga of Kiev can be a saint, <laughs> Judith deserves it. So she also argued that if God could grant men a gift, then couldn't he also grant women that gift? After all, he's an omnipotent super being that is beyond time and understanding. But no, he's incapable of making men and women equal or like, oh, if men can do something, women can't because that's beyond God's ability. (laughs) What bullshit. Anything you can do, God can do better. God can do anything better than you including endowing gifts on people of different genders. Believe it. Believe it. So she directly cited God as being the one who granted her this knowledge and truth. She wrote, quote, he alone consoled me. He alone taught me. He alone read to me. So she is citing women from the Bible who are awesome. She is using the word of God as a reference she is also saying that god is literally speaking through her and it's all for like gender equality and so it's kind of like we see people employ those tactics in a very toxic way but i love that in medieval spain she's like i'm gonna flip the script on him (laughs) right she's like i can do this if you really look at the bible's extremely feminist (laughs) 
So beyond the Bible, she also wrote about the importance and virtue of housewives and their work. She argued that the private sphere which women worked in was tranquil and spiritual compared to the violent, warring public sphere of men. And this comparison also kind of reminded me of how Teresa saw her own deafness as allowing her to like turn towards her inner spirituality without the distractions of daily noise. So she's not saying that like, women should be housekeepers but she's like hey this is a really important role right and she, acknowledge she's like, there's it. a grace and a power in being a housewife exactly which is something that we still struggle to comfort uh, like i was reading about like the messages that she's sharing and i'm like i love this but i also hate how relevant they are god damn it <laughs> So even though Teresa made strategic concessions in her writing to make it more palatable to a male audience, she rejected the idea that women were the weaker sex, meant only for reproduction, which apparently was the widely held opinion in the medieval period. That's terrible. Yeah. And despite her efforts to get men to accept Teresa's hot takes, they were more than a little threatened by her soups feminist writings. Shocker. And the cultural standard was that women were lesser than men. So a woman using religion to argue that they were equal, like, it, like insert the dial-up modem sound. Like, it just broke their brains because they're like, how dare you, a woman who is lesser than me, tell me you're equal and then use my faith to make that argument? Like, wait, what? Nah. Ugh. And so because they didn't understand it, like their their default reaction was just like, rage, yeah. rage, fucking that, that rage. That tends to happen. Like people are afraid and angry when they don't understand something. Or when something is presented to them to, that's contradictory to their beliefs. So if it weren't for her high standing in the church, Teresa's writings probably would have been easy to brush off. But because she was burned and we would have never heard about. Yeah, but because she was an important figure, it was kind of like people had to be aware of what she was. They they didn't necessarily agree with it, but it's not like she's like journaling and not sharing it with anyone like they have to listen. Like even the best of us, though, Sister Teresa de Cartagena died. I don't know when, I don't know why, probably old age, old age, a runaway cart, famine, name something. All we know is that it wasn't COVID. That's all we know. Theoretically. Um, But like I said, we don't know a lot about her because her memory and her legacy are these writings. And she is remembered as one of the first Spanish feminists and her second work, Wonders at the Work of God, is often cited as the first feminist writing by a Spanish woman. I'm going to add a little asterisk that we know of. I also love how she used religion to promote gender equality because so, like I said, so often we see people using religion to justify awful things. And she's like, yeah, but what if we went the other way with it and used religion to justify being chill with each other? And I thought it was so cool how she was able to find peace and solace in her deafness and how she like made it work for her. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So yeah, that is uh, the story of Sister Teresa de Cartagena and Teresa's hot takes. Of Teresa's hot takes. <laughs> I'm just like, well, because like the whole thing was just like, yeah, uh, feminism is divine. And the Bible has all these badass ladies that did things men couldn't do. So how can you argue that we are the weaker sex? 
And I love she wasn't she wasn't necessarily saying like men and women are exactly the same because we're not. No one is exactly the same. But it's our differences that make us more powerful together. We stop bitching at each other for five goddamn seconds. Right. <sighs> okay. <laughs> Excuse me. I need to hold on. Let me let me turn myself inward and focus on my own spirituality and virtue. And I'm just gonna mellow out a little bit. <laughs> Maybe I'll cover Judith in the future because yeah. I need to, I need to know more about Judith. <laughs> that sounds awesome. It kind of reminds me of the woman you covered that like pushed the one general down oh, the well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tim O'Clea of yeah. Thebes. Yep. Yeah. She pushed a rapist down the well, stoned him who, to death. He was also like a general in some army. Yeah, yeah. And then uh she and then like Alexander the Great was like, was like yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, I probably would have done the same thing. He sounds like a dick. (laughs) That's funny. He he was a dick. Yeah. Um, So I'm covering Annie Jump Cannon because, (gasps) of course, I would pick the person that was astronomy based. I have actually been kind of waiting for you to cover this person because it is so up your alley. Like, I've thought about covering her. I'm like, no, Kelly needs to do this. She might be one of the more famous people we've covered. Yeah. But she's still pretty sweet. I was going to say, if you see like a list of women in STEM, she's usually like on top it. of the top almost. Yeah. Um, so Annie Jump Cannon was born December 11th, 1863 in Dover, Delaware. She was the eldest of three daughters born to Wilson Cannon, who was a shipbuilder and state senator, and his second wife, Mary Jump. So that's where the Jump Cannon came oh comes from. Oh my God. Seriously, that is the coolest last name ever. I know. Also, it's not hyphenated or anything. It's just like the two separate names. Also, I love the idea that her father, Mr. Cannon, was a shipbuilder. And I like to think that he put cannons on all the ships. No, no, no. This is just a very basic shipping vessel. Yeah, but you know what it really needs? A, a cannon. cannon. <laughs> I really hope so. Yeah. Um, Annie's mother was the first person to teach her about the constellations. Um, Mary would often open the trap door to the roof of their house so that her and Annie could watch the stars in a small observatory that they built together in their attic. Her mother would use an old astronomy textbook to help Annie identify the stars that they could see. That is some top-notch mothering. That sounds adorable. That is amazing mothering. Um, Annie's mother also taught uh, her daughter all of her daughters, um, household economics, which would actually come uh, into play later in kind of a weird way. Okay. So I'm just going to put that away in the vault and save it for later. Right. Okay. Um, Her mother would go on to encourage her to follow her interests, suggesting that she would go, suggesting that Annie go and study mathematics, chemistry, and biology at Wesley College. Holy shit. Her mom's like, clearly you're super into this stuff. Like, go get it. Well, and Wellesley is a really big deal. It was one of the seven sisters, which was mm-hmm. were the basically all-girl equivalents to the Ivy League schools, which weren't letting women in. So they're right. like, fine, we'll make our own fucking schools. Exactly. Um, so Annie took her mother's advice and pursued her love of extra- astronomy. Um, and sh- at some point during her childhood, she'd lost, or, ad- or early adult years, they're not exactly sure when, but um, she lost... Most of her hearing. So she was hard of hearing. Yes. Okay. Um, sources vary because some say that she was just outright deaf and then mm-hmm. some some just say that she lost most of her hearing. Okay. So, um, and sources vary wildly on the time frame and the cause. 
although it is often attributed to scarlet fever. Oh, yeah. Um, That'll fuck you up. Even though she lost most of her hearing, her personality was still described as... I had to look up this word, but I kept it in here. Um, Ebulent, which means exciting or enthusiastic. Ebulent? Right. That's a beautiful word. There's your word of the day, everyone. Ebulent. Right. Um, And early on in life, she chose not to marry or have children. Like, she made that decision. She's Mm -hmm. like, nope. Which I've covered other women that are basically like, no, I just want to pursue what I want to pursue. I think that's interesting, too, because when we cover women who never got married or never had children, we don't use it's usually just kind of like, oh, BT dub, she never got married or had kids. Mm-hmm. But I like that we know for sure Annie Jump Cannon was like, no, I'm making this conscious decision. It's right. not that it just didn't happen. It's that it's not what I want. And I'm not going to cave to societal pressures. Right. So first, Annie would attend Wilmington Conference Academy, and she was a very promising student, particularly in math, because, you know. She's a witch! I feel like astronomy evolves a lot of math. It does. It does. Right? And then uh, after a few years at Wilmington, Annie would go to Wellesley College in Massachusetts, which was one of the top academic schools for women in the U.S., as Mm -hmm. we mentioned. It was one of the Seven Sisters. And there she would study physics and astronomy, she would study under uh, Sarah Frances Whiting, who was one of the few women physicists in the United States at the time, and would go on to become a valedictorian of her class. How amazing is it that, I, I, is this the 1800s or like the early 1900s? The 1880s. Okay, so late 1800s, this woman is going to school for physics and astronomy, and there is some badass bitch who has already done it right. who can teach her. I know. Isn't like, that great? How amazing. Because I don't know. I, I think- love when we encounter that where it's, it's like truly like empowered women empowering women. Yeah. But just I don't know. When we think of the 1800s, I think it's so easy to think of all of the opportunities that were denied to women, which makes it even more amazing to see the women who overcome them and are like, no, I'm I'm going to spread. Right. I'm going to spread my knowledge like a virus. So she would graduate with her degree in physics, as I said, as a valedictorian in 1884 and then return home to Delaware. During her years in Delaware, after she graduated, uh, she developed her skills with the new art of photography, which was just kind of being developed. Such a trailblazer. Right. And um, she would actually go on to travel through Europe taking photos with her Blair box camera. Is that the one where it's like a giant box on a tripod with the little curtain behind it? I have no idea. Because like... The, the idea of traveling through Europe taking photos, I'm like, oh yeah, you snap and pics. No, not then. There, there was like a flash involved. There was a lot of setup. Like taking pictures so back then was, was a pain more in the ass. Like the travel version of it. It was still like a decent size box, but yeah. it wasn't the one that you had to like set up on the tripod. Yeah. Okay. But still, like I think you could, but it was optional. photos back then was rough. Right? It was hard. So she returned after she returned home, she would go on to write some prose about like where she had traveled. And then those pros and the photos she had taken when she was in Spain um, were published in a pamphlet called In the Footsteps of Columbus that was published by the Blair Company, so the people that were making the camera, Mm -hmm. and distributed as a souvenir at the Chicago World's Columbian Expedition in 1893. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. I will say I love this Footsteps of Columbus, and it's like... eh. (laughs) Right. 
So soon afterward, Annie was stricken with scarlet fever. This may or may not have been when she was rendered deaf or nearly deaf, hard of hearing. Um, but it this it did become apparent, like when she was in traveling and in college, that um, her hearing loss had made it difficult for her to like be super social. Because obviously, like sign language probably wasn't a thing, or if it was a thing, it wasn't as big of a thing. Like you know, like it would have been really hard for like understanding wise. Well, and I covered that, uh, that one young woman who was, she was born deaf and the prevailing idea at the time that she was getting her education was that sign language was beneath people. Like it was like, they're like, oh, chimps can do sign language, but only humans speak, which I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? So their whole thing was teaching um, deaf and hard, hard of hearing people to learn like the mouth sounds of words and vowels and consonants mm-hmm. so that they could speak even if they couldn't hear what they were be, saying. That had to be real weird. Yeah. Um, so due to the fact that she wasn't super social, um, she immersed herself in her work just like your woman. Like, yeah, why not? Um, in 1894, Annie's mother died and life at home grew more difficult. You know, she, And so she wrote to her former instructor, Sarah, and was like, hey, you have any jobs? (laughs) She was just like, you know, I don't want to stay at home. Like things aren't like it never really said what was difficult. I would assume it's just, you know, she's a single woman. And I'm sure her after her mom died, if her father was still alive, he probably didn't want to support her is my guess. Well, I was thinking, too. When the matriarch of the family passes away, it usually falls to the eldest single daughter to then take over that role, which, like you said, would be her. And that's not what she wanted to do. So I wonder if it was like he either I need to get a job or I'm going to basically become my mom's substitute. So, yeah, she wrote to Sarah and Sarah was like, yeah, like come and work for us. And she got her um, a job as a junior physics teacher at the at what? Wellesley. Wellesley. Jesus. <laughs> it's hard because you want to say Wesley, but it's Wellesley. There's um this opportunity and being like a staff member gave Annie the uh, ability to take graduate courses at the college in both physics and astronomy. Um and Sarah also inspired Annie to learn about spectroscopy. I feel like you've talked about that before. I have. But could you tell me? <laughs> yeah, it's a it's so it's a branch of science particularly concerned with the spectra of electromagnetic radiation as it as a function of its wavelength. Okay. So they look at um do you remember when our astronomy professor like took out an old school projector and then put the prism on it and showed us the prism? It, yeah. Yeah, that that that's a type of spectroscopy. That's like super basic spectroscopy. Okay. But yeah. It's a lot to do with like light and, but it's like measuring the wavelengths of light and what the results are. And yep. Okay. And radiation. I'm probably getting this way wrong, but yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting how wrong you are. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Thanks. It's not okay. Like you know, I know you're absolutely right. That's why I can make fun of you because it's not because no one thinks I'm serious. Right. So as she's like working on astrology or astronomy, not astrology, (laughs) 
She really wanted access to a better telescope. Like Kelly, all your the ones, Pisces are show, is showing. Yeah. <laughs> all the ones that she had access to, like, they were okay, but they weren't, like, great. And she's like, I want a better telescope. Mm-hmm. And so she enrolled at Radcliffe College as a quote-unquote special student, which I think maybe now means, like, a graduate student or, like, someone going there, like, for a special interest. Okay. I couldn't really figure out what they meant by, like, literally everywhere just said special student. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. It's funny because one person wrote it down because that's how they found it referenced. And everyone everyone else was like, uh, special student. Like, they just copied the verbiage. In quotes. (laughs) Um, So she applied and she got in and she's going to go there and study astronomy. Of course. So Radcliffe uh, was set up, and I assume is still set up, although maybe it doesn't exist anymore. I didn't look it up. Um, was set up near Harvard College, and it was a, a f- school for women because mm-hmm. Harvard wasn't yet letting women in. And so the reason it was set up near Harvard is so that Harvard professors could repeat their lectures to the female students at Radcliffe. Oh. Which it's like, that's great ingenuity, but just let the women go to Harvard. I was going to say, do that. it's so fucking redundant. It's like, no, 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 they can get the same information, but I'll be damned if they're getting it in the same room as men. Right. As not allowed. However, this did give Annie access to Harvard College's observatory and their telescope. Bum, bum, bum. Right. Um. While she was enrolled at Radcliffe, she got hired slash picked as a assistant in the observatory to Edward C. Pickering, becoming one of the group known as Pickering's Women. <laughs> they were also known as the Harvard Computers, and they were a group of women hired by the Harvard Observatory, particularly Edward Pickering, to complete the Henry Draper Catalog with the goal of mapping and defining every star in the sky to a photographic magnitude of nine. Holy shit. I also, I prefer Harvard's computers than Pickering's women. I know, I was like, (laughs) "Mm, don't like that. Like, what? No, don't say that. Uh, In her notes, Annie would often refer to brightness as int, which was short for intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pickering would go on to say that Annie was able to classify stars quickly. Quote, Miss Cannon is the only person in the world, man or woman, who can do this work so quickly. So she she just had this like intuitive understanding. Right. She just had a knack for it. Well, and it makes sense because she's obviously started very young with her interest in astronomy. Right. I keep I keep wanting to say astrology and Same. I hate myself right now. So this project was founded by um the wealthy widow um of uh, the physician and am- animer- amateur astronomer Henry Draper who had died. So his wife was named Mary Ann Draper and she was funding this work, which is why it was Draper's catalog. Nice. Well, technically it was the Henry Draper catalog cuz you know um, so the interesting part is the the work was split. So the men working in the le- laboratory did the quote unquote labor of operating the telescopes and taking the photographs, which they would then give the, to the women for them to examine, you know, collate, collect the data, do the calculations and then catalog all the photos. Okay. So the men would work at night. 
taking pictures, laboring on the telescope and taking the pictures. And then during the day, the women would look at the pictures and catalog all the stars. Oh God, the men, they're working so like, I'm not saying that's not valuable or difficult, but I love that they've given the bulk of the work to the women, right? You know, but, but said that the men were doing the labor. No, they're not. I know. I thought it was funny too. So the director Pickering um, made the catalog a long-term project. And so not only were they cataloging everything, but they also aimed to obtain the optical spectra of as many stars as possible. And then index and classify the stars by Mm -hmm. their spectrum, which is insane. So not long after the work had begun, a disagreement developed as to exactly how to classify these stars. Because it was kind of something new. Um, The analysis was first started by a woman named Nettie Farrar, um, who was there and then left a few months later to be married. Didn't come back. Yeah, because once you get married, your professional life is over. Right. This left the problem to two other women, uh, Henry Draper's niece, who was working on the project, Antonia Mori, who insisted on like a really complex classification system. Mm-hmm. And then Wilhelmina Fleming, who was overseeing the project under Pickering. So you had like the person who's funding the project, like a family member yep. and then a person who's like working directly, directly under Pickering. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and the person Wilhelmina was like, no, let's do something much more simple and straightforward. Annie kind of negotiated a compromise between the two. She started by examining a bright southern hemisphere star. And to these stars, she applied essentially what was a third system because each of the other women had like their own system. And she kind of made so Annie made like one that was compromise. She um, she cl- classified them by different divisions of stars and the spectral classes were O, B, A, F, G, K and M. Or the acronym I found for it was O, B, a fine girl. Kiss me. Oh my god! Like, that's not creepy. But oh, okay. that, that's like the the King Philip for yep. like Kingdom Kingdom Philum. Because what is it? King Philip. See now I don't even remember it. I just remember King Philip. <laughs> Kingdom Philum. Something something order genus species. Oh Jesus! My high school biology teacher is like, she's like, she's why cringing. does my chest yeah. feel tight and why do I feel like vomiting Mine right too. now? Um, so her scheme was based on the strength of Balmer absorption lines of the star. So like how they absorb light, I think. I didn't really look into it. Um, after absorption lines were under, uh, absorption lines are understood in terms of stellar temperatures now, like at the time. I don't mm-hmm. know if they really were. And her initial classification system was re- rearranged to avoid having to update star catalogs. So like they did rearrange it a little, but in the end, like that's what they used. So Annie and other women at the observatory were criticized at first for being quote-unquote out of their place and not being housewives. Um, women in the during this time did not commonly rise beyond the level of assistant in this line of work, and many were only paid 25 cents an hour to work seven, seven or six or seven days a week. Are you fucking kidding me right now? No. Jesus Christ! Seven hours a day, six days a week. I wonder, like, like we've heard like, oh, you know, $5 a week or something. And you know that, and we figure out how that translates. I haven't heard like, you literally get cents. You get right. 25 cents I think an I hour. read somewhere that these women were maybe making like 
50. So they were making more than like the average women in their right, field. But which is not still shameful. Right. But Annie dominated this field mainly because of her quote unquote tidiness that was instilled by her mom teaching her housework. So this is like where that came in like years later. She oh. was super tidy and or like apparently her notes were like super organized and like all of this stuff all because her mom like taught her housekeeping and home economics and probably, you know, because part of running a household is keeping all the bills in order and all the paperwork to get like, so and knowing like, what needs to be done when, and, and you have a lot of balls in the air that you have to keep track right. of. So I just think it's so interesting that her mom taught her that. And then like years later it came back in like a completely different form, but like the basics were there. Okay. Here, there is no better PSA. Teach your sons how to keep a house. Right. I can't tell you how many adult men I've met that don't know how to cook for themselves. Don't know how to do laundry. Don't know how to do laundry. Don't understand how to clean for themselves. How can you be an adult and like be so infantile in the very like, basics of keeping up your space? Well, this is why you hear people like not wanting to move out of their parents' house because they don't know how to survive on their yeah. own. Oh my God. But but then the thing is, those skills do translate. Exactly. It's It's about personal responsibility with like cleaning up after yourself is about pride in your space and it's about organization. And you know what? Then maybe your son will become a super clean astronomer. You yeah, don't know. That would be sweet. We know that he's not going to marry well if he can't do his own goddamn dishes. Good story. <laughs> so not only was she really tidy, she was also really patient when it came to tedious work. And she actually started like doing other projects and brokering partnerships in exchange for different equipment between like other labs and um, between like men and the international community. And she really, really helped like popular gain, not only her observatory more popularity, but like astronomy in general, because I wanted <laughs> to say astrology again. Oh, remember we were trying, we were trying to say, uh, st- say astronomical. Astronomical. <laughs> yeah. We're back. So she became like almost like an ambassador, like role between like the men in the field and the, like the ones at working at night and like the out the outside world which is kind of cool i'm imagining when you were talking about how she's like brokering deals for new equipment i'm imagining that experiment from school where it's like you start out with a paper clip and you have to trade it up to the coolest thing you can get and like there's I hated always that i hated that there's always the story of the person that's like yeah they started with a paper clip and they got a car and i'm like you literally made that up i refuse that refuse that to believe that like fucking years yeah like how and they dare got you super lucky like because yeah or if, the if car you, was crap <laughs> if you get something like really crappy but you like but it's it's in decent shape but and and you can find someone that like collects it or something mm-hmm. yeah you can get something that's worth more yeah or you get a really shitty car yeah but yeah i mean if anyone was able to do it it was annie and she started with the paper clip and she's like i'm gonna get a giant telescope now right <laughs> So Annie published her first catalog of stellar spectra in 1901. And then in 1907, she finally finished her studies and received her master's degree from Wellesley College. Yay. In 1911, she was made the curator of astronomical photos at Harvard. Oh, yep. 
Also, bravo on uh, not missing a beat with Thank astronomical. You. In 1914, she was admitted as an honorary member of the Royal Astronomical Society. And in 1921, she became the first woman to receive an honorary doctorate from a European university. She was awarded an honorary doctor's degree in math and astronomy from Groningen University, which I think is a German university. Okay. I love... I love you can tell when we're about to... Yeah, there's like a pause tr- and an inhale. Yeah, there's like this big... Okay, oh, this. oh my God, hold on. I have to me- emotionally and mentally prepare to say this word. Right. <laughs> um, she wrote many books and articles to, in- again, continuing to increase astronomy status and notoriety and like getting you know, the layman into astronomy. Yeah. And in 1933, she actually represented professional women at the World's Fair in Chicago. This was the one that was titled Century of Progress. She's like an early astronomy influencer. Oh, yeah. Like 100%. she would have been slaying on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> so Annie manually classified more stars in a lifetime than anyone else. Her total was around 350,000 stars. Holy shit. She discovered 300 variable stars, five novas, and one spectroscopic binary. Don't ask me what any of those are. <laughs> I, know what a, I know what a nova is. What it, What's a nova? Um, isn't it that like educational TV program with the dinosaur sure documentaries? A, isn't it like a collapsed <laughs> star? Because a supernova is like a really big star. Uh, ba 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 Oh, no, a, a supernova is what that guy from Xenon Girl, the 21st century, sings about. You're my supernova girl. Mm-mm-mm. So, well, and I think of Nova, my sister-in-law's dog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so a nova, the plural is novae or novas, um, is a transient astronomical event that causes the sudden appearance of a bright, apparently new star that slowly fades over time. No way. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew that was coming. Um, so she And so she created a bibliography that included about 200,000 references. Holy crap. Yep. She discovered her first star in 1898, but she didn't, she wasn't able to like actually confirm it was a star until 1905. Um, and when she first started cataloging the stars, she was able to classify about a th- thousand stars in three years. But by 1913, she was able to catalog about 200 stars an hour. Good God! Annie could classify three stars a minute just by looking at their spectral patterns, and if using a magnifying glass, could classify stars down to the ninth magnitude, around 16 times fainter than the human eye can see. Her work was also highly accurate. Okay, if I could do any kind of work at the rate of 200 per hour with that kind of accuracy... I would be golden. Right. I would, I could do anything. Yeah. You could just like write books. Like you could just. I'm writing 200 books an hour. No typos. No right. comma splices. They're all just gold. So and I, they're all Twilight fan fiction. <laughs> so Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, but like good. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll get some input from ASMR daddy and they'll actually be decent. Oh my God. You know, and a healthy relationship. Yeah. Not, you know, stalker. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm going to write the uh, the emotionally stable and available Fifty Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades of Emotional Stability. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> 
And it'll be a single independent woman. Yes. Yeah. There is actually no, no relationship. It's just her being very comfortable with herself. Right. So on May 9th, 1922, the International Astronomical Union passed the resolution to formally adopt Annie's stellular classification system with, with as I said, they did make some minor changes and like mm-hmm. changed a few things. Um, and it, it is still being used to classify stars today. Oh my God. Um, Annie would also travel to Arequipa, Peru to photograph stars in the Southern Hemisphere just because she wanted to. She's like, I've pretty much nailed the Northern Hemisphere, but the Southern Hemisphere, I'm a dominated. Right. In 1925, she would become the first woman to receive an honorary doctorate from Oxford. Good God. Well, doctorate of science. I don't, I guess I don't, I didn't look into if other women had received doctorates like in English or anything else. In 1935, she created the Annie J. Cannon Prize for, quote unquote, the woman of any country whose contributions to the science of astronomy are most distinguished. And that is still around today. Um, I think during her lifetime, it was like given out sporadically. Mm-hmm. Now it's given out annually. Oh, that's cool. She became the William C. Bond astronomer at Harvard University, which is like, it's kind of like astronomy's version of a, a like poet laureate at a school. Oh, okay. I was um, like, did she have to like change her name and everything? That was super funny. <laughs> uh, the astronomer Cecilia Payne, who's another like famous astronomer, collaborated yep. with Annie and used Annie's data to show that stars were comprised of mainly hydrogen and helium. You covered I Cecilia did. Payne. Yeah. Um, so Annie Jump Cannon's career in astronomy lasted more than 40 years until her her retirement in 1940. Despite her retirement, she would continue to actively work um, on different things in astronomy as well as in the observatory up until just a few weeks before she died. Like, that was her passion. That was her love. That was, that was her life. That was her thing. Right. So, uh, you know, obviously she did amazing things, but also, like, the side note of her career was that during her career, Annie really helped women gain acceptance and respect within the scientific community. Her calm and hardworking attitude and her demeanor helped her as well gain respect throughout her lifetime and paved the path for future female astronomers. Annie died on April 13th, 1941 in Cambridge, Massachusetts at the age of 77. She died in the hospital after being ill for over a month. Oh. Um, so some other awards and honors that she was um, given both throughout her life and not in 1929 she was chosen as one of the greatest living American women by the League of Women Voters um, she was the first woman elected as officer as the American Astronom- Astronomical Society there's a lunar crater named Cannon named yes. after her because apparently that's a big thing for like people that work in the scientific field. So that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Having like a crater or a star or an there's, asteroid or something named after you. There's also an asteroid. It's yes. asteroid number 1120 named Canonia named after her. You know, if one of those asteroids has to, absolutely has to destroy her, I hope it's hers. Right. Um, <laughs> so due to, uh, you know, her classifying over 350,000 stars, she has been nicknamed census taker of the sky, which oh, I love. Oh, I do love that. Um, there is, so the Annie Jump Cannon house is where the president of Wellesley College lives. Wow. Like on campus. Yep. Um, bu- 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 
Papa. She was one of the charter members of the Maria Mitchell Association. She is among the list of women in the heritage floor um, that's part of the dinner party, which we haven't mentioned in a while. Oh my but it's God. Coming back. I feel like we're having so many throwbacks because this we episode are. reminds me of. Um, the Cinderella of the stars yeah. that you covered. Um, I like me some. Like if, if I could have, I think I would have gone into astronomy, but it just, I don't know. Like I liked it, but not You, you didn't have and enough I, of a passion. I just didn't want to do math. math like I'm, I'm, I'm decent at math, but I'm like, I don't want that to be my life. Yeah. Um, she's a ma. I did the dinner party. In 1994, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. A Google Doodle honoring her and her work appeared in 2014, and she was depicted on Delaware's American Innovation $1 coin in 2019. Oh, so cool. I looked up these like $1 coins because I was like, the fuck is this? Yeah. Um, and they're still doing it. Like they have like all the states mapped out for the next like few fucking years, which is amazing. Oh, wait. So every um, state is gets, going gets their to get their own thing. Oh, and they release like four or five in a year, but they're like one dollar coins. So I think you have to actually like order them. Because... Well, because I was thinking like the Sacagawea dollar that yeah. never really caught on. Um, and but like I was kind of looking at the program, and yeah, like that's one of like, and it's not like it's like a silhouette of her face, but mm-hmm. I was like looking at what other states have done, and like they're like one of the only ones that's done like a person. And you know what blows my mind, too, is that like Delaware has, it, it, I mean, is steeped in, like, early American history, you know, like, especially with the American Revolution. Think of just crossing the Delaware. But they're like, no, Annie Jump Cannon's our girl. I know. I we're we're going to so put her cool. on some money. She is, she is the top shit in Delaware. So talking about women on money, uh, my mom, if it wasn't my mom, I'm really sorry for whoever did tell me. My mom reminded me that they're doing like a women in history uh, quarter thing right now. Yeah. Uh, I apparently didn't know about it. Oh, I so, posted about it on our Facebook. Follow us at Whining About Herstory on Facebook. Um, But now is a great time. Like, because, you know, a lot of the Herstory stamps we talk about are no longer in circulation. And you're probably going to have to pay a pretty penny to get them if they are even around anymore. Mm-hmm. But now's a great time to collect his historical women and their quarters. So I told my mom, because I think it just started this year. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, Anime Wong is on one. Yep. Maya Angelou. Yep. That was funny because I was Sally talking, Ride. I was talking to my mom about it, and I, like, mentioned, like, I listed the name of the people that got released this year. And she's like, yeah, I only know, like, one or two of those names. And I'm like, mom. Listen to our podcast. A lot of them are too big for us to cover, but we. Yeah. But Kelly did cover Anime Wong. I think at the like the beginning yes. of twenty twenty one. So the ones that were released this year or are being released this year, because um, I think they they only started shipping them like last week or something. Yeah. So it's Maya Angelou, Doctor Sally Ride, mm-hmm. Wilhelmina Mankiller, who was the first principal chief of the Cherokee Nation. I've actually thought about covering her. I have she's, too. She's on my list. Uh. Nina or Nina Otero Warren, uh, who was the leader in New Mexico suffrage movement awesome. and the first female superintendent of Santa Fe Public Schools, and then Anna May Wong. Yep. And so this is another one that will um, last several yeah. years. I don't remember how many years they said that it, they were going to do it. Um, but yeah. That's super cool. 
I just, I don't know. Oh, I like through that 2025. So it'll be for three, for three years. Each year they're going to uh, release five. Okay. Can I just say, you said 2025 and then three years. I was like, no, Kelly, that's five years. And then I was like. 2022, Emily. When did it become 2022? Where is the time going? I have no idea. I'm slipping into madness. <laughs> right. Okay. So the I wonder if it's going by state order that we were added to the country oh it could what, be what not the, i'm going back to the one dollar coins not the women yeah um what state is minnesota what state is minnesota google answers minnesota question right. mark uh, i don't understand <laughs> your question so we're the 32nd state so yeah it is going in order um technically we're the, we're going to be the 33 released coin but that's because they had like an introductory coin oh, okay. that was um the signature of george washington okay so the anti-jump cannon coin was technically like the first coin release because delaware was the first state oh i how did i not know that i always thought it was like maine or new hampshire or something it was apparently delaware pennsylvania new jersey georgia connecticut massachusetts maryland south carolina those are the first wow eight Delaware, Delaware. Oh, I lied. South Carolina had um, Septima Clark mar- marching with ap- uh, African American students. Had who? Septima Clark. Oh, okay. Um, so they also have a person yes, represented. It's on actually them. a woman that I'll, I'll have to cover her because her it's Septima Septima Poinsettia Clark, and it's yeah, she's an African American educator and civil rights activist. That's perfect timing because Black History mm-hmm. Month is coming up. Yeah, she was kind of like the female Martin Luther King Jr., I think. Of South Carolina? I, I think she was born in South Carolina. Oh, okay. Yeah, she was born and died in South Carolina. But yeah, like other ones include a rotary dial phone. Oh, my God. The Hubble telescope. Um, this year's, so this year is Rhode Island, Vermont, Kentucky, and Tennessee. Uh, Rhode Island is a yacht. Vermont <laughs> is just a generic snowboarder. Are you serious? It says, a snowboarder performing a trick set against a mountainous winter skyline inspired by the landscape of Vermont. Vermont, you can do so much better. Um, Kentucky is a banjo for their bluegrass music. Okay, that one I get. Uh, Tennessee is a Tennessee farm with newly installed power lines um, representing the Tennessee Valley Authority. Hi, puppy. Um, And then everything (laughs) after that is to be announced. Okay. Here. Okay. I'm going to put this out there. Minnesota. We need to show up for this. We need to do better than a farm and some power lines. Okay. Right. Like, can we have like a thing? Can we have like vote? Can we have Nina Clifford on our money? Because she was a bad bitch. We'll (laughs) we'll be the last coin released in 2026. Oh my God. I hope I live that long. Hey, tomorrow is not promised. Your grandmother taught me that. (laughs) She's still alive. I know. (laughs) All right. Oh my goodness. I'm trying not to take your outro. Oh, that is, is totally fine. Oh wait. First, Emily. Oh. What are you thankful for? Well, shit. Um, So my relationship of six years just ended and it kind of exploded in like a really spectacular way. But I'm really thankful because I've been coping with it really well. And my friends have like really showed up for me. 
Like everyone has been incredibly supportive and kind about it. Um, and I'm getting like offers like, oh, I can help you with this. Or if you ever need anything, like, let me know. And so that's been really nice because, you know, I know I have friends who are there for me when I need them, but then for them to have the opportunity to like really show up for me and for them to do it, I'm like, oh God, what do you mean? It wasn't all talk. What do you mean? That wasn't just like an empty gesture. So that's been really nice. And actually, I'm really kind of looking forward to being single again and being completely independent and not having to answer to anyone about anything. I don't have to ask anyone about the like sheets I'm going to buy. I don't have to check in with anyone. So that's kind of, I'm thankful for my friends. I'm also excited for the future. I apparently have class tonight when I thought I didn't. <gasps> oh, no. It's fine. It's, oh, no. It's fine. Kelly, quick, what are you thankful for? What am I? What you am can I, still make it. Uh, no, oh. it started at seven. I'm, I'm looking at what we're doing tonight. Like one of my cohort members is like, are you in class? And I'm like, don't we have off this week? She's like, no, it's next week. Oh, I'm no. Like, oh, shit. Well, I think Kelly is very thankful. Uh, <laughs> that at least we're doing something cohort cool. Member. Um... <laughs> Letting me know because yeah, I, I think we're only gonna be able to record one today, and I'm gonna that is totally have a, fine. I have to g g out. Um, but no, I'm thankful for I don't know. Just I had a really rough week at the end of last week, and kind of the same thing you did, like just people showing up and just being like, you know, I'm here for you, whatever you need. Like I haven't t- like talked to a lot of people about what's going on, and I'm not gonna say it here. Um, but the people I did tell were, yeah, like super understanding and like, Hey, whatever you need. Yeah. So, yeah. You know how we're like in sync with our stories. I feel like we're also in sync with our like difficult life moments where it's like, Oh my God, shit's going wrong everywhere now. But you know what? We have each other's backs. That means when stuff is going really well for one of us, it's going to go really well for the other. That is actually true. Yes. So I'm going to channel a bunch of positive energy out there and things are going to get real good for both of us. Good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Uh, like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHpod, Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com and our email is whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com where we would love to hear from you. You don't even have to just reach out to us on email. You can reach out to us on Instagram. Like Chelsea. Or Twitter or Facebook. Uh, we also have a Patreon where you can donate for as little as $1 a month to $1. get all our extra stuff we're also going to be creating a patreon exclusive facebook group so that you know we can do like live events and stuff oh my god we are i'm so excited apparently emily doesn't read our patreon post kelly kelly kind of runs things um (laughs) also on our patreon page we have our merch store where you can buy things like our linguistic butchery shirts and stuff like that there's some really cute designs and we have some more that we made like months ago and then never actually put on the store I was looking through my phone and they like popped up and I'm like, oh yeah. Cause remember we were like going back and forth <laughs> on right. them. I was like, I should probably publish those. Oh God. Um, yeah. I actually, I might order some more merch for myself because I really want a, one of the like little tumblers that says, they said a bad word. They said a bad yeah, word. Cause I'm cute. like, I need that in my life. <laughs> we definitely have some cute stuff. You should go check it all out. Yeah. It's great. Get it for the herstory lover in your life. I don't think I'm forgetting anything. Uh, rate us five stars wherever you listen. And Kelly's going to get to class. So 
As always, I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day, y'all. Bye.